Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you all. Come and grab your seats. I hope you all had a very good Easter time, enjoying the good weather. That's some of you, that's encouraging to know. I had a good Easter time, we had a busy Easter time with church, messy Easter, Easter Sunday, where we had some baptisms, a fantastic time if you were amongst us celebrating those kind of things. Personally, I had a good time over Easter. It was my birthday just before Easter, which is a nice thing. I was 31, give or take. And on Saturday, just yesterday, Melanie and I celebrated 17 years of marriage. So we've had a fairly kind of active, busy, but an encouraging um, Easter time. Now, what I'm going to do today is what my practice has been since the beginning of the church, since we started, is that kind of beginning of every term, I basically kind of remind us who we are, where we're about, where we're going as a church, also kind of anything where we're up to. We've had um, kind of goals in place year by year, things we've done. If you've been here with, a, here with us a while, you'll know that kind of thing. Um, beginning of this year, we didn't do it. We did something different. We did the In This House series. It's a short series because we'd moved to a new venue. For those of you who knew, we've only been in here. It's less than four months we've actually been in this place. But I don't know if you were with us in the move. Do we feel settled? I feel like this is home. We've kind of... God's been very good to us here. It's kind of, we've got in, we've got settled. God's still adding to us as a church. The kids seem settled. It all seems to be working. And so what I want to do today is just go back to that practice to remind us who we are, where we're going, but also talk about some significant things that are happening in the sort of church and where it's going in the future just to keep you all up to speed and ask you to respond um, to that. So that's what we're trying to do today. First thing is what we're about, our purpose as a church. I mention this every beginning of every meeting when I'm leading the meeting and I remind us of our purpose as a church, which we write up on the banner here that we have up every week. If you're here regularly, you kind of, you've seen it once, you've seen it a hundred times, it kind of glosses over you. But I want to just remind us what we're about as a people. It says on our purpose statement, real life is about having a relationship with Jesus, following the example of Jesus and then changing our world with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That, if you could sum us up as a church and you could boil it down to one thing, what are you about, real life church? What are you about as a people? We're all about Jesus. We're all about him. We're all about making his name known, making his name great. We want everybody in this, in this town, in, in all the relationships we have, wherever you go, to have an opportunity to get to know Jesus for themselves. And that's why we say real life begins with that. It begins with a relationship with Jesus. So there's an order to it. It always starts with a relationship with Jesus. That's the important thing. You have to come to know Jesus for yourself. And if you don't know Jesus for yourself here today, we'd love to introduce you. We'd love to talk to you about that and what that means and the impact that will have on your life. Then as a result, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, is the word we use, then you actually become more like him, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit transforms us day by day. We follow his example. We follow his model. We seem to act more and more like that. We are transformed from one degree of glory to another to become more and more like Jesus. And as we do that, then that should have an impact on the world around us. Our relationships, our workplaces, everywhere we go, everything we do, we're going in the power of God, by the grace of God, with the Holy Spirit with us, being transformed, and therefore we should have an influence on the places that we go. The people we meet, they should, they should be different because we're there and we're impacting somehow into their lives in a positive, encouraging way. So we want people to know about Jesus. He's the most important person who's ever lived. He was God, came to earth, Born as, a man, uh, born as a baby, grown into a man. He was God the Son, the second member of the Trinity. 
He lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross in our place for our sin. He then rose bodily from death, which we celebrated at Easter time just last week particularly. He ascended into heaven and he now seated at the right hand of the Father. And one day he will come again, won't he, to judge all mankind. And we want everyone to get to know him. We want to get everyone to have that opportunity. So that is our unchanging purpose as a church. That's what we're about. That's what you should hold us to as a people. Are you all about Jesus? Are you always pointing to Jesus in the songs you sing, the activities you do, the lives you live? Does it always ultimately feed back to him? And that's what we're about as a Jesus, and that's where we're going to go as a church. That's where we've been going since we've started. It's now, we're cruising on for, what, six and a half years of Real Life Church, and that's where we're heading, and we always will be following after Jesus with everything we can. Now, where are we going as a church? What's God called us to as a particular people as a church and when we started the church um, six and a half years ago and there was a small group of us um, I could guarantee in our first meeting eight adults and a one-year-old child in the room that was kind of that's how we began that was us and we felt before we before we kind of got together we uh, before we started we kind of got into them we prayed and we said God what what's our thing as a church what do you want us to be about in this town in this city well where are we going and he spoke to us three particular things he said that we would be a large influential reproducing church which we also write up and stick on the banner to remind us what we're about which when you think about this this is hysterical in fact it's ridiculous it's pretty st- when you think you look around the room and I looked at my team who let's be honest they were all right you know I mean, like, God wants us to be large, influential, and reproducing, and you think, this is just comical. This is comical, what God has called us to. But if you read your Bible and you read the stories in there, God always gives things to people that is way beyond their natural abilities, way beyond what they could possibly achieve on their own. Why? Because when it happens, who gets all the praise and the glory? He does. We don't. We can't take kind of... We can't take responsibility for what's happened here. We have our part for sure, but actually it's God, a sovereign God, a powerful God working through his people that creates this incredible thing called church. It's not about us. So when God spoke to us these things, we went, whoa, really? Large, influential, reproducing, but that's what, it, what God said. And we had this conviction, I had this burning conviction that this is what it was. And I remember in our first meeting, I, I rolled this out to the eight adults and the child, and by God's grace, there were a few guests who came along to that first meeting, and there were kids running around, one of them, my son, yelling, and I'm saying, this is what God's called us to, and we're meeting in one room. You know, it was a tiny little room, and they were all there. And look around now. We've started on that journey. God has been incredibly good to us, and to faithful to his promises. So let's just go through some of these things. First one, large. Now, when God spoke to us about these things, I don't think they just fell out the air as like they just sound good, they work well, they're snappy or anything like that. Actually, I believe they came out of the Bible and our study of Scripture and what he had said to us. And if you follow the, the theme of the Bible, the big patterns, the meta-narrative, the big story of the Bible, this is in there. God has always wanted a people for himself and he's always wanted it to be numerically large. Is that? Are they coming back? Are they? Are they <laughs> they're not, are they? No. Okay, that's fine. He's always wanted to. Make, if you go back to the beginning, Genesis, he creates Adam and Eve, doesn't he? And what's one of the first things he says to them? He says he created them. He said God bless them, and he said to them, "Be fruitful and." 
No, you're, you're well taught, aren't you? Look at that. Good. He, so he basically, first thing he said to them was, make more. Be, be bigger. There's only two of you. Numerically grow. I want more of you. I want a people for myself, God says. Then we fast forward from Genesis Beginning of Genesis 2 and 3, and we go back to uh, Genesis chapter 12, and he meet, grabs a man named Abraham, who's living in the desert, no kind of you know, concept of God, and God calls him and says, right, through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the world, and I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now, that's a lot, isn't it? That is a lot of people, God said. Now, just so you know, uh, for my birthday, um, I got a certificate through the post from my brother-in-law. If you know my brother-in-law, you'll know this is his style. Some of you do, but I got a certificate through the post, um, and there is a star now that is named after me, an actual star. There are that many of them that you can... You can name a star, how it, whatever you want. And I've got a certificate and everything. The star is called the crane. Well, I don't know, but there is somewhere up there, there is literally a star with my name on it. I don't know where it is other than up, you know, but it's, apparently that's it. So there's stars in the sky. There are millions, billions of these things. And he says, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world and your, your descendants are going to be like that. So God obviously had a big vision for his people. We followed the story of Abraham and Abraham, the irony of it was, was that he had a wife um, but she had no kids. They had no kids and not only she couldn't even have any children. We read the story. She was kind of too old. It says she was barren. She was unable to have kids but God miraculously provides a child. They have Isaac. Isaac then has a son called Jacob. Jacob then has 12 sons. One of them is Joseph, which we preached through. You know about Joseph. They go down to Egypt, and then that then multiplies into the nation of Israel, we find in Exodus. They have grown into a mighty nation. So God's promise to Abraham has gone from one to the the son to this great nation he's got. But it's not going to stop there, because if we read the prophets that came after him, you get the prophets like Isaiah saying, actually... It's not just for you, descendants of Abraham, a kind of an ethnic group with a physical descendant. It says actually it's going to be a light to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, those who are around you as well. Actually God says you're going to be a light to them. And it says the house of the mountain of the Lord will become chief among the mountains and the nations will stream to it. So it's not just going to be you and your physical descendant. It's going to be so much wider than that. It's going to be all the nations of the world, which includes us, which is amazing. And then Jesus comes as the promised Messiah. He lives on the earth and he calls his followers and then he dies, rises from death. And just as he's about to go into heaven, he makes um, a, a commission to his followers and says, right, you guys, I'm off. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. But he says this to them. He says, you need to go into all uh, the nations and make disciples. So suddenly this has now gone, what was promised through the prophets has now gone out to all the nations of the world. You need to go everywhere and make disciples. Every single nation, every single people group. You need to go. Your commission is now global. Go and preach the good news, which is what we are the product for. You see the church getting birthed in the beginning of Acts. The Holy Spirit falls on the church. At Pentecost, Peter then goes and preaches, 3,000 are saved. And if you follow the story of Acts, interesting, they're all from different nations, aren't they? Those at Pentecost, and you follow the story of Acts, and what do you have? The church growing and multiplying and moving from place to place. As more churches are planted, and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And then we go to the end, which we've been looking at our Lion and the Lamb series in Revelation. 
But if we go to Revelation chapter 7, it says this. The Apostle John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. It was before God's throne. It says, where was it from? From every nation, tribe, people, and language. God wants a large people for himself. He wants it from every nation on the globe, every people group, every language to represent him. He wants more and more people to come and know the good news of Jesus. And it's what we've been living with as a church, that actually God wants to multiply us, not to make us great or make us impressive, but to point to him as the one and the only one we should be worshipping. And we've been living with this as a church as we came to plant the church. We had some people pray for us and other stuff and some prophesied over us. And one of the stories, uh, one of the things they said to us was a friend of ours uh, called Nick and he came and prophesied over us. And at that point, our eldest son, Levi, had literally just been born as we were getting ready to come uh, and move to Sutton here. Um, and when you have a child, they, the NHS give you this red book and they, they, they mark stuff in it, so they check the child's growing well. And when Levi came across, along, if you've ever seen him, he's a big boy, he's a strapping lad. He's always been big in his age group. He's always been kind of uh, taller and, and stronger than everybody else. When we went to the NCT class and we laid our child next to the others, we thought he'd eaten one of them. Because you're like, seriously, he can't be these little petite little girls and there was Levi and you're like, whoa, count the kids, make sure they're all still there. Yeah, okay, there's still six of them, but that's what it looked like. And he, he, was, um, he was in what they call the 95th percentile, so he was really kind of big and strong. We had someone come prophesy and said, actually, your church will grow like that. It will be big and strong, like your son. And so we kind of took that and thought, wow, God, what does that mean? At the time, we only had a tiny team with us, and God has been working this out amongst us now as kind of evidence of his grace upon us. The second thing is that we would be influential if God wants us to be an influential church. If you read the story of the Bible and you see the characters and the men and women God uses, he has used men and women time and time again who occupy kind of what we would just call worldly jobs, if you will. They just worked in their job, whatever, whatever it was, whatever they had at the, in front of them at the time. But God has used them to influence for his kingdom. God has used men and women in their ordinary kind of everyday life to be influential in his kingdom. We see Joseph I've already mentioned in Egypt. He was just a guy there. He was working in the house. He went through some difficulties. Next thing you know, he's prime minister of Egypt. And through him, God saved not only his people, which were a small family at the time, but actually all the nations around about, Egypt and the others, through the, the, the provision of food in a, in a famine. We see Daniel in Babylon. He, he ended up being, being raised from a, a young lad up to be an advisor to the king and God used him to influence the king. Of the, there was a superpower at the time and God used him to influence the king through his actions. Queen Esther in Persia, again, another young girl who was raised up, used to be influential to save her people for the king. Nehemiah, who was in Persia, in exile, God used him to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city that had been destroyed. God's city had been destroyed and God used Nehemiah to influence the king to get the resources to rebuild the city. They just had ordinary jobs and were going about their lives and God raised them up to be influential for his kingdom. And then we get Jesus comes along and what does he say to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You're to be influential. Salt is influential. You put it on food, it stops decay. You put it on food, it brings out flavor. 
Lights just shine so we can do everything else. We can see without lights, we'd be bumping into a lot of things. But actually, lights shine, and we are to be influential. You can't hide a light when it's on. It's on, it's just shining around, and we're to be those people who are to be influential for his kingdom in whatever you have been called to, wherever you find yourself, whatever place that is. And God spoke to me as we were coming this, moving here. I was reading my Bible in a year. I've done that numerous times. Um, and I was reading through it, and I was reading through the book of Jeremiah, just kind of, kind of around the middle of the Bible, trolling through, getting through it all. And I came across this passage, which I must have read before, but kind of you just sometimes your eyes skirt over it. And it said this. It says, he's speaking to the exiles, it's the people of God who've been removed from the nation of Israel, removed from Jerusalem because of their sin, and the, the city has been destroyed, and they're now in Babylon in exiles. And it's a kind of, well, what do you do? And the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to them, and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So there, there, they are, there they are. It says, build houses and live with them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. And I was struck, and I felt God speak to me, saying, when you move to that great city, Birmingham, it was at the time, move, okay, we're going to go there. He says, I want you to go there and seek its good. Seek its good. Be good to the city that you're going to. Be good to the community that you're part of. And if you read that passage, there are certain things. He says, buy houses, plant vineyards, get jobs, do work, multiply, have kids, do life. When your kids grow up, Give them in marriage to other people's kids. So you're multiplying and growing. Be good to the city. Be a positive influence. Be a positive influence. And, and when we came here, we came with this very kind of like, we are coming here to be good. We're not coming here to create a holy huddle, to gather Christians. We're here to be influential and good to our city in any way we can. And I know for our, when I came, I... Um, I started working, I'm a teacher by background, so I did supply teaching when I arrived here. So I was working in the city and trying to be a good contribution to the schools I was sent to to teach. We had our second son was born here. He was born in Good Hope Hospital just up the road, so we've had kids here. We're waiting for the hand in marriage thing. They need to be a bit older from that. But just saying, no, I'm taking offers, you know. I'll, I'll be, we'll be interviewing over the years. And so we seek the good of our city. And so whatever you find yourself in, whatever position you are, wherever God's put you, whatever that, that job is or that thing you do, whether it's raising kids or it's paid employment or you're doing volunteer stuff or whatever it is, God is saying we need to be an influential people. And as a church, I want us to be influential. Influential as a big body together because we've got a corporate weight when we get behind things like the food bank. And we're saying, okay, we will come and we will be good. We will give food. We will contribute as a whole and be a blessing to those who need that. But actually as individuals, when we scatter from here tomorrow morning and you go to the place you spend most of your life doing whatever it is, you're to be influential there in a workplace, with your clients, when you're running your projects, when you're with other parents on the playground, whatever it is, when you're dealing with family members who don't know Jesus, whatever it is, be influential and seek to be good. And as a result of us being here as a church, this city should know about it. 
because we are being a positive benefit to them. And whatever environment that is, whether it's law and government or healthcare and medicine or sports and recreation and music, or we should be a positive influence for his kingdom. And I believe that's what God's called us to um, as a people. For most of you, the most significant thing you're going to do for God starts tomorrow morning. Because you're going to get up and you're going to go and do the thing that you spend most of your time doing. Job, whatever is paid employment for a lot of you, even parenting kids, getting them ready, school run, serving the schools, PTOA, whatever it is, that's going to be one of the most significant things. And as a church, we ought to be influential in that area. As well as, as, well as a corporate body together, we have weight to do things. But also as individuals as we scatter to those places and be an influence. The last one, reproducing. I believe God wants us to be a reproducing church. Jesus, when he came to earth, first thing he did, gathered 12, trained them, spent time with them. There was wider companies around them. He got them together. When he died, rose from death, he gathered all his followers together. And what did he say? He said, go and make more. His job was to multiply, reproduce himself, go on and on and on. And if you follow the story of the New Testament of, in Acts and what's happening, that's, it's just a story of multiplication. The Holy Spirit comes on Peter and the others at Pentecost in the upper room, 120 or so. He goes out, he preaches, suddenly there's what? How many, I think it's 3,000 get saved. That was a good sermon. I would like to have that sermon. Whatever he did, it's like, wow, 3,000 just say, wow, the church has just grown, multiplied. And we follow through Acts as just a reproducing as a reproducing. There's a fascinating bit uh, when we get to Acts 13, where we have the Apostle Paul, and it talks about him going out planting churches. And he says he visited these places, Cyprus, Perga, Antioch in Pisidia, Iconium, Lister, Derby, and then he, ret- he retraces his steps to all those places, and each one... Preaching the gospel, see people saved, planting churches, starting new congregations together of this reproducing of God's people. He later commands his, his son in the faith, a man named Timothy. He says this, he says, okay, Timothy, I need whatever I've taught you, I want you to teach to reliable men so they can then teach others. You've got Paul, Timothy, reliable men and others. You've got this multiplication for generations of reproducing the good news of Jesus on and on and on. And we want to be that as a church. It doesn't want to be about us. We want to reproduce us. We've had people in the church become Christians. We love that. We love celebrating that. We love baptizing them and seeing them walk with Jesus. We want to reproduce ourselves. We also want to reproduce ourselves in planting new churches. We got planted. We started. We, in turn, want to do that in the future. And as we were coming to plant Real Life Church, uh, we got, um, in four separate occasions from four different people, we, they came up to us and said, we've been praying for you or you know, we've been thinking about what you're doing as a church and you're going to move Sutton Coalfield and start this church. They, they all said, we feel God saying you're like, going to be like a strawberry plant. And you're like, yeah, that sounds really dumb, but thanks. You know, what's this, I don't know what a strawberry plant is. I don't know what it does. I love jam you know, on crumpets, but I don't really know much about gardening. And they said, well, and we investigated, what's a strawberry plant? Well, a strawberry plant is a plant that grows strawberry, grows fruit, it's great. But what it does, here's the interesting thing about them, is that when they grow, they send out runners, which are like shoots, green shoots, which come along the ground. And then once they've done that, they go into the ground and they create new plants that bear fruit. You're like, ah, oh, okay, something on this. 
and then they do it again and again and they multiply. And if you've ever seen wild strawberries, like a patch of them, I remember someone sent me a photo of them. You're like, I don't know where one starts and one finishes because of this reproducing. And the fruit is everywhere. And it was like, when we came here, God says, you're going to reproduce like that. There's going to be a reproduction of what you've done. And we've seen people, we've reproduced ourselves individually in terms of people becoming Christians. We love that. We want to keep doing that. We have yet to reproduce ourselves corporately in planting a church, which is what we want to do. I've got nothing to announce today. So I don't want to start like, what's he saying? You guys have got to go over there and do, no. But we're going to be doing it one day. We're going to raise up leaders, we're going to get, them, get funds for them, we're going to gather a team and we're going to send them out somewhere else to plant another church. And my prayer is, before Jesus takes me home, we do it again and again and again and again. And we just reproduce, reproduce, reproduce to give as many people an opportunity to get to know Jesus. All right. Okay, moving on from that. So that's where we are as a church, that's what's our purpose, that's where we're heading. And that's where we've been heading for the last few years and it's where we'll be heading into the future. In terms of what we are now, I want to talk a little bit about the way forward um, with us as a church from this point. Now, we've been going six and a half years, we've grown and multiplied and as a result of that, Things have to change internally. Some of the stuff you don't see, but behind the scenes we're changing, multiplying change, changing structures just to cope with who we are. When there was like eight of us, it was very easy to organize things. Now there's like 150, 160, you've got to work a lot harder. You've got to formalize things. And even behind the scenes on making stuff work, uh, we have to do that. And if you've ever been through this in a business that's grown or had to go through transition, you're aware of what this is like. Roles have to change, things have to move. If you've ever had kids, even adding one child to your family, oh my goodness, things have to change. Structures and practices and sleep, you know, things like that. You add to another child... Someone said to us, when you have one child, it's like having a dog. Two children, it's like running a zoo. They weren't exaggerating. In fact, I think they were underplaying it, actually, at that point. So we've been through that. And as we've grown and multiplied, we've kind of had to go through those things. So what are, where we are now is we've got f- these different teams. We've got the group of the teams up. I just want to talk through this. Elders, leadership, staff, and directors. And I'm going to leave the elders. We'll come back to that. These are teams that help us make this happen. The first one is our leadership team. There they are. Don't they look lovely? If you're on the leadership team, you should be up there. Okay, I'm just saying. That's your face. Now, these guys, um, Matt and Phil, Yates, Ben and Charlotte Senior, myself, my wife, Melanie, Mike and Sarah Brewer, John and Georgia Dean, and that's Jeremy and Becky Douglas-Jones. They are the leadership team who are helping us basically move this thing forward. We've got a vision. We know where we're going. The way I think about it is these guys help us lead colouring that in. We've got a big thing that says large influential re- reproducing. It's all about Jesus in the middle. And then round the edge, we've got to colour that in. What does that look like? Events we run, courses we run. How do we make that sort of thing happen? How do we, how do we get to where God has called us to? And those men and women help us do that. They are godly men and women who I've been working with for a number of years now. Uh, they, are, they, they serve us so well. Their help is invaluable to making all this run. Uh, and they are, they are a pleasure uh, to work with. And they are a privilege. And if you know any of those guys, please thank them for their service. A lot of what they do is unseen, behind the scene, because we meet. We meet together monthly. We share a meal together just to help us with our relational 
kind of links. We often pray together for you guys, the church where it's going. We talk, we strategize, we work things out. What's next? How do we do this? How do we make things happen? We make some big decisions about the direction of the church and things that are going on with us and how we spend some of the money and stuff. So please be in prayer for them. The second team is the staffing team, which currently is my wife and I. We are both paid by the church. We basically work full-time. I'm paid 30 hours a week. The rest I give voluntarily. My wife is paid 10 hours a week. The rest she gives voluntarily. But at the moment, we are the only paid staff members for um, the church. Uh, We basically do the stuff in terms of the nitty-gritty things that get on. Things that come out from us, things that those um, flyers, we're the ones who make that happen in terms of getting the design, getting it done. Obviously, I've got sermons to write, uh, emails you get, website updates, all those things we're doing, make happen, the teams, making sure things, rotors are in place. We kind of do the stuff at the moment of the team. That, obviously, team is going to grow as we grow as a church. We need to take on more staff um, in the future, but that's where we are now, and we've been like that for probably about 18 months Um, as a team so that's the staff team and the last one are the directors yes that was a bit that was the best that was just that that's what our meetings look like there's Charlotte Senior Andrew Pindu myself and Philip Coltup are the directors now explain the directors the directors we are a registered charity as a church Um, And so part of that is we need to have directors. The directors are responsible for the legal and financial running of the church to make sure we are above board. They do all the sexy jobs like safeguarding, insurance, gift aid, the yearly audit, accounts reconciliation, budget balancing, payroll, all those kind of things. They're the guys who made it. We meet about four times a year just to make sure everything's working, everything's in place, that our, our, our books go to the charity commission to get signed off, we get an external order to come in to check all our books and make sure everything is right, that every penny is accounted for, all the money you give, the gift aid is claimed, everything is above board, our safeguarding for our kids, we've got loads of kids, want to make sure they're safe, the CRB checks, they're not called that anymore, are they? DBS checks, those kind of things are all in place. So those guys serve so well in making that happen as a church and they've been there since we've been kind of incorporated as a charity and they serve us so well so they're vital to kind of making it running to make sure we keep everything above board and make sure we're complying with what we need to comply with law wise and everything so they're, they're the, the arse one so those three um, teams have been in place for a long time now just making it work making the system work the one that we haven't got is the elders which are at the top now the elders, eldership is a biblical model which we uh, see in Scripture. You read your New Testament, you can't get away from it. They're appointed in every church that it comes about. We read the, lesson, the letters and the rest of the New Testament. They come up again and again. Make sure that the church has elders to lead them and move it forward. And eldership is, is our biblical model. And it's basically a team of qualified men who have responsibility for leading the church. And if you think, who are the elders here, we haven't got any. This is why I'm talking to you today. We don't have any. What we're looking to do is something I've talked to you before about. We're trying to get this journey going. It's not something you can rush. We're working it forward, which is what I want to share today. And so the elders are responsible. What's their unique responsibility? There are five things, and thankfully they all begin with D. So So God's just good like that. He works it out. So the first thing they're responsible for is they're responsible for doctrine. 
Doctrine is what we believe. What do we believe about this? What does the Bible say about this issue? How are we going to respond to this issue from a biblical, theological standpoint? And the, the, the elders are responsible for laying that down in a given church. They're the ones who govern it. They're the final authority on, okay, this is, what, this is how we're going to go with this, this issue. Most of the stuff is settled. You know, the big thing, who Jesus is, what the Bible is. You know, Trinity, we all settle that. It's usually when you come to get some of the more smaller, nittier, grittier things, and how do we handle this, how do we handle that? That's what they're responsible for. That lands on their desk. They need to make the call on that. The second thing, discipline. Another fun one. What are we going to do with this sin, basically? How are we going to deal with this? Church discipline is not fun, and it's not sexy, and no one likes it, but it's a reality. We see about it in Scripture. It's all through there, a discipline on how we run the church, how we conduct our lives. And when it comes to those areas, the elders are the ones who make the final call on how we handle a given thing. It's not something that is to be taken lightly. Um, but actually that's their responsibility on how we do it. And it's particularly pertinent when you get sin amongst the leadership because actually it comes that much more serious. So that's their discipline. Next one, delegation. Delegation is basically who are we going to get to lead this thing? We're starting a new ministry. We're starting something. We need someone to lead. We need someone to take responsibility. We need someone to kind of oversee this. That will land with the elders and actually through prayer and consideration and talking, they make the final call and appointing leadership within the church to do certain things. The next one, direction. They're responsible to making sure we keep on track. Are we moving where God told us to move? We're not getting sidetracked with stuff that's coming over here. We're not just ignoring our vision and heading in the wrong direction. We're staying on task and we're moving forward uh, with that. And the final one there is discipleship. Their responsibility is, are the church, you, growing as followers of Jesus? How can we make that happen? How can we serve that? What do we need to do to make sure that that kind of thing is happening in the church, that we're all growing as the sheep, we're being fed, but we're not just being fed and getting fat, we're actually putting that into practice and growing as disciples of Jesus and having opportunity to use our gifts and our ministry and being encouraged and cared for and looked after all those things. They don't do it all, they just gotta make sure it's happening, being responsibility. They, they function like, like the father in a home, the dad, he's a husband, loves his wife, but also is responsible for the kids. Doesn't necessarily do it all, but they have that final can-carrying responsibility to say, actually, if it's not happening, I've got to do something about it. We also there's also a priority on prayer in what they do. It didn't begin with peace. So I was of D. I was like, oh, prayer through all of it. But actually, there, there's a priority on prayer, giving themselves over to prayer and seeking God with what they are. And it's not something to be taken lightly. If you read um, uh, Timothy 3 and Titus 1, there are the qualifications for elders, which are pretty severe when you look at them. It says, they must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He mustn't be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought well of outsiders, so they may not fall into disgrace. It's the snare of the devil. So this is not something to be taken lightly. 
And in this process, over the last few months, year, I've been praying, I've been seeking the God, I've been involving outside counsel, um, Andy and Heather Martin, who help us as a leadership of the church and give us input. Andy is an elder in the church in the middle of town, Church Central. Uh, he's someone that Mel and I have known for years, actually before we were married, we first kind of met him. And him and his wife have been invaluable in just helping us as a church. He's been here and preached a couple of times, I'm trying to get a date, he should be here before the end of term again to come and just preach and just be around us. Uh, they're a godly couple, Ray, five beautiful godly children and um, they, they serve us so well. So in part of that process, what I want to share with you today is that actually I'm starting on a journey with a group of guys towards eldership. We haven't actually, we're not there, we're not even close there. We're beginning the journey together and I'm letting you know, one, because it's good to know as a church, we're all together, we're all in this. Two, it puts the pressure on us. Because if I shared it publicly, I've now got to carry it through. I've now got to go somewhere with it. It's actually, it means that there, there's some sort of responsibility we've got to take and start moving forward. Um, and so I would appreciate you kind of just being with us on that. The guys who've got, can we put the next one up? These are the five guys I'm going to go on the journey with. Well, one of them's me, so four of us. Jonathan Dean, Matt Yates, Jeremy Douglas Jones, and Mike Brewer. We've been meeting together every other Friday morning at half past six to pray, my house. So we've been praying together already. That is going to continue. We've got a couple of meetings. We're going to start meeting in the evening, just a couple of times between now and the end of this term to just start talking about some of these things church-wise. This, for me, is a big shift in leading the church because up till now I've been functioning as an eldership of one, which has its perks. I'll, I won't be you know, shy about that. I just get to choose stuff. But actually, it's not the biblical model. And I've always been in team as well with people who will be around me. But actually, we need to move. We need to get to a biblical model where there is a team of guys who are going to just take final responsibility to the church. It doesn't take away from the eldership. I'm oh, sorry, from the leadership team. Melanie's role as part of that doesn't change. She's going to carry on doing all the same things she's done. My role's got to change. I've got to develop a team and move forward this. And there's some things I'm looking for as we get this team. We're looking for God's grace on these guys. Is it right? Is it right for them? It might not be. It might not be for now. It might be later. It might be for another church. It might not be right. They might not all make it. There's no shame in that. It's just, it, what God, is God's grace on them for it now? I want to start a journey. Is the character up to what it says in the Bible? Their, their, their lives will be examined. Their giving will be examined, financial giving. Their wives will be interviewed. I'm going to write to all their employees for a reference. Are oh, they thought well of outsiders? I don't know. I need to go and find some outsiders to tell me their bosses will be a good start that's all going to take place Andy and Heather will be involved in that process interviewing are they kind of in with the vision of where we're going have they got this the relational dynamics do we work as a team or do we just fight all the time because that's not good because that will have an effect on you guys Died. hello I'm alright good what's your response to it now that sounds a bit severe. Cards on the table. I wouldn't have started this journey if I didn't think these guys could make it. I'm not just like, you know, we'll see if this happens. I, I have faith in these men. But we're going to move forward on this direction. And I need you guys with us on this. What does it mean for you? There's one thing I want you to do out of this. I want you to pray. I need you to pray. I need you to pray for us. I need you to pray for the church. Every face you saw on that board, I need you to pray for them by name. 
I need to be praying for us as we move forward for wisdom and guidance in how to lead you well. Protection from the enemy who hates us and wants to destroy us and everything about us. Grace for our families. Grace for us in parenting and living the life and dealing with the pressure of all the things that we do. I need you to pray. When you do your daily devotions, when it's in the morning or the evening, whether you pray in the car or on the way to work, whatever it is, I'd love you to pray for us. Make it a habit. It doesn't have to be long, but just pray for us as a team. Pray for what we're doing. Some of you, when you, do, um, when you eat meals, some of you pray together as families, and you just have that, you say grace, we tend to call it, don't we? Just pray for us. Build it into your life. Every time you sit down for a meal, just pray for us as a church. Pray for this journey. Pray for this process of what we are. I need us to take this seriously in what God's doing. It's a good and exciting thing. I think God is moving us into the next step as a church, kind of to be fully formed. When we started the church, there was a tick list of things I wanted to do before I could kind of feel like, I think we've done stage one, start a church. There was see people saved, there was baptize people, there was serve the poor, there was serve our community, there was have an establishment... Uh, a kind of a Sunday meeting. We've done all of them many times over. There's one thing we haven't done. <laughs> Establish a biblical functioning eldership to lead us. And so for me, this is the last. Once I've got this done, I'm going to sit down for a second and have a drink and say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know, getting us that far. And so I want us to take it seriously as a church and we can pray. I was just seeing the time. All right. Can we do that now? And pray. Do you want to stand up? I'm going to pray. Can the band come up, get ready to lead us in a time of worship? Maybe you just want to close your eyes. I've mentioned a bunch of guys and girls up here who serve us so faithfully. They are not the only ones. We have a host of other volunteers who serve us so well, leading our kids' work and our youth work and on our setup teams and our life group leaders and the band here and the worship leaders and those who come and serve at particular events, one-off events, they all come and get involved. You're all involved in that and you are all so valuable to what we do. I do mean that. But when it comes to kind of bearing weight, those in leadership with responsibility have an extra special one. If you want to take someone out, if you want to defeat an enemy army, you just take out the leaders. That's, that's just common military practice. That's what you do. And it's the same with the church. So we all, I want to pray for us in leadership. And I'd love you to carry on doing that. And so I'm just going to do it now. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this church. Lord, I want to thank you that you birthed it and you have taken us to this point. Lord, I want to thank you for your abundant grace that has been poured about, out upon us. What you have done here is beyond the scope and skills of men. It has to be a work of God, Lord, and I thank you and I praise you for that. I thank you for each of us who have played their part in this story that is being written about real life church, Lord. Lord, and as we move forward from here to the next step, Lord Jesus, I pray for your grace upon us. Every name I've mentioned there for the directors who serves now for our leadership team, for the eldership as we try and form that and see what happens, God, I pray for your hand upon us, Lord. I pray for your wisdom on us. I pray for your grace upon us. I pray for your protection for us, Lord, as we move forward. Lord, I thank you that you have blessed us with so many gifted men and women who serve so faithfully in what we do. Lord Jesus, we praise you, we love you. 
Lord, we believe and trust in you to take us forward. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a good God, that you love your church, you love your people. Yeah, and that you're watching over us. We thank you for all you've done in this place. And God's people said, Amen.